listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. When I first uh, got into this whole spiritual journey, this whole quest, if you will, um, so much of it was about getting out of the pain that I was feeling, that I was in, uh, uh, I had everything going for me, uh, but something was amiss, something wasn't quite right, and I tried all these other other uh, different traditions, and none of them seemed to quite, um, uh, I hate to use the word, but none of them grabbed, which is probably good. You know, this teaching really is about non-grasping, and what I was looking for was something to hook me. What ended up hooking me was, in fact, the fact that everyone at the Zen community that I went and visited, none of them seemed to feel that the cloth that they wore took them any closer to God. That it, in fact, was basically a way to live a life. It was a way rather than a belief. And this really... Uh, really, I, I found to be kind of kind of cool. This isn't as as you may know to take anything away from any of the traditions. I've spent a lot of time, you know, lauding them as being really valuable. But there was something so non-threatening about the idea of just sitting still that all answers, if you will are things that we don't find from some external place, but rather are something that is uncovered from deep within. And that stillness allows for this uncovery or discovery, or whatever you want to call it, to occur. And that's all we're doing here. All we're doing here is sitting still. Really still. And this is kind of a challenge for, if you're like most people. Um, sitting still is something that our dynamic uh, and uh, indeed sometimes um, uh, bullet-like society, where we just, you know, and that's the way we live culturally, it can be a bit of a challenge to kind of say, okay, wait a minute, let's try another way. Well, that's what we're doing. What we're doing is essentially looking within deeply. We're studying our experience with our full attention. We are not trying to massage anything out of that experience. We're not trying to get anywhere. We're not trying to get to peace. We're not trying to get to happiness. We're not trying to get anything by sitting still. Sitting still, nothing is you know, going to happen magically to us as we sit still. What we might uncover is our true nature, and that might feel magical or mystical. But sitting still 
is actually just creating an opening through which any and all of God's love, or whatever you want to call it, then suddenly has an access point. It can work through us. And this isn't something we have to achieve. It's not something, we, we don't have to do anything to get there. In fact, we do precisely nothing. We watch our thoughts. We don't try to evaluate them. We don't judge them. We don't try to push them away. We just watch our thoughts. They arise in our mind. Our thoughts arise in our mind. We watch our mind. We watch the feelings that arise in our body. We don't get caught by them, pulled by them. We just watch. We become this watcher. We become plugged into this witnessing awareness that's always already present. And we watch our relationship to our body. We watch our relationship to our mind. And we watch the interplay between our mind and our body with the environment. That's it. So for the next 30 or so minutes, all we do is just remain physically still and watch what happens mentally. If you have to move, that's okay. This practice is also not about excruciating pain. I say that a great deal because some people say, I had to move because I felt like my leg was actually going to fall off. That's okay. First of all, it won't fall off. Or if it does, man, that's amazing. <laughs> but chances are pretty great your leg is not going to fall off. Can you be real intimate with your discomfort? Discomfort has a great capacity for forcing us into our attentive awareness, especially when you feel like you can't escape it. If you do feel uncomfortable or you are in a situation where there's just a little bit of edge to it, that can oftentimes be really good. If you need to move, however, please do. Please, you know, adjust your seat as quietly as you can so you don't disturb the people sitting around you. But the idea is to be still. Great biblical line. Be still and know that I am God. That applies to each of us. Because that in you which is still is an opening to this thing that we call God. One of the ancient teachers, Shankara, said, the world is an illusion. God alone is real. God is the world. I remember the first time I heard this, I'll say it again in a second, but the first time I heard this, I was like, huh? God is something, that word is something we uh, affix a great deal of mental, emotional, decoration onto. So is the idea illusion. 
the world is illusion. Well, of course, you know, the world is illusory, but it's also very real for those of us living in it. And we tend to side with uh, the fact that we see the world as substantial. This pain is real. The, it reminds me of the great Zen saying, as a, um, a Jewish Zen teacher, if, if, if the world is illusion, whose arthritis is this? <laughs> so it is, it, it is illusory in that the difference between my friend Ralph here and this this window at the level of the very small is just organization and energy same with each of us here the difference between any of us and the trees outside organization and energy at the very small it is all space it is all as Adyashanti says emptiness dancing that is a core fundamental truth. And just about any physicist would say, mm, yeah. Including Einstein. That dance that's kind of existing just is. Yet we don't pay attention to that. We don't pay attention to the great emptiness and spaciousness that spawns all things and which all things, including ourselves, our own bodies, end up dying to. We don't pay attention to that groundless ground, so to speak. We pay more attention to what's going on in this life based on memories and plans, thoughts and feelings. And we orient ourselves, ourselves in this space. It's real. But it's also a very partial story. And this is what is meant by Shantideva's, uh, excuse me, Shankara's line, the world is illusory, or the world is illusion. It's real, but there's more to it, is essentially what that line means. It's one way of interpreting that line. God alone is real. Well, what is God? I still have this image of God that I began to kind of fabricate when I was around three or four years old. And I realized that there was more than met the eye. When I would go to church, you know, and they'd have this cross. Well, what happened on the cross? Well, uh, this guy had nails put through his hands and his feet and was tortured by the Romans. And we pray to him. And I thought the Sunday school teacher was, that just seems so brutal, you know. Fortunately, uh, I had some great parenting. They were very good at helping me unpack all that, you know. Well, actually, it, one way of looking at it would be like this, or the story of, you know, when he's, uh, Solomon was going to cut his child in two. You know the story, the biblical story? I, mean, I was like, oh, my God. 
wonder if my dad would do that. And he assured me, no, he would not. That he would not ever do that. That, uh, that in fact, his belief was that God was love. And it's hard to draw a picture of love. And that kind of started to shake the image that I had of God as being kind of this bearded, uh, muscled guy, you know, in the clouds. What is yours? When the word God is said, what do you throw onto that picture? Or what does that script read like for you, God? Because whatever your mental constructs, constructs of God are, don't hit the mark. They pale in comparison to what God truly is. And this can be really hard for people who have very well, you know, articulated visions of what something should be or should not be. But the point of this practice is to actually let go of those attachments, including our attachments to whatever we believe God might be. God is actually so huge, so majestic, so massive, that it can't possibly fit into any of our ideas of what God might be. That's real. When we, when we can actually give the infinite its due. And we can see that we are sourced from that spaciousness and that we will die back into that spaciousness. And we can recognize that that spaciousness is part of us and we are part of it. Suddenly, we are given a different ground on which we can stand. We are given a different kind of spaciousness that we can continually tap into. That's real. And from that point, that point of expanse of space, we can begin to see that that spaciousness is at the core of what we've always called the world. That no one is separate from this expanse. No one is separate from the infinite. No idea, thought, feeling, person, situation is anything other than spirit in action. And this isn't something we necessarily get our mind around. It's rather something we begin to unfold into, from. It meets us as we meet it. And this occurs when we, we begin to practice this awareness that I'm always yammering on about. Awareness of thought is not thought. Unless we begin evaluating the thought, then it's a thought. Awareness of the evaluation is not evaluation. Awareness of your experience is not bound by your experience. Your awareness has never been anything different than what it is right now. 
your interpretation of that awareness has changed radically. You are not the same entity you were 20 years ago. There's been evolution. But awareness itself has not evolved because it has never moved. What moves? Mind. In fact, without movement, the mind goes still. And when it is a still mind, it's not mind. It's awareness. In other words, awareness is never not here. I'm not trying to get too pithy or out there for you, but I am trying to push you a little bit. Awareness of mind is free of mind. Awareness of emotion is free of emotion. Awareness of experience is free of experience. Awareness of the world is free of the world. Awareness of God, this alone is real. Awareness respects thought as being equal to all other mind states. Awareness is able to be intimate with any thought or feeling you might have without touching it. Awareness is free. Awareness is open. Awareness is infinite. Mind, on the other hand, is contained. Mind is bound by past and future. You think about that, that's really kind of cool. This is a direct portal into the present moment, into the now, when you recognize that what's going on in your head, whatever's going on in your head, is about something that's happened before or something that hasn't happened yet. Or a judgment about one of those two places. Those are the only two things that ever go through our mind. There's a fourth option which has nothing to do with mind, which is being aware of that activity. The awareness of that activity without evaluating it is freedom. This alone is real. This is where God, whatever you might want to call it, begins to kind of come through us in really powerful and beautiful, compassionate and spontaneous ways. And it doesn't mean we meet the world brain dead or mindlessly. We're actually deeply mindful about what it is that we're doing. We're totally engaged in what it is that we're doing. If we're thinking, we're totally thinking. And we're aware of the fact that we're thinking. It's the opposite of mindlessness. It's we are fully present in the present. So if we consciously source our life from this orientation, continually, again and again and again and again, we uncover this natural state. We uncover this God consciousness. We uncover this infinite nature. We uncover Brahman. And it's always complete. There's nothing incomplete about awareness. There's nothing incomplete about this spaciousness. It's full. We call it emptiness in the Zen tradition, which is fine because it lacks characteristic. But the experience of it is a complete and utter fullness. 
And when we can experience a complete and utter fullness in this present moment, regardless of state, whatever state we're in, happy, sad, angry, fearful, ecstatic, or the fact that the saints upset Peyton Manning and the juggernaut of the Indianapolis Colts, let's say, I'm just saying, <laughs> I've got a dollar bet on that game, so I'm one dollar. <laughs> Whatever state we're in is accessible. Whatever state we're in, this God consciousness is accessible. Can we be aware? Can we take a step back? Anyway, in this openness, we can uh, live life or experience life without being caught by time, without being caught by mind, without being caught by our emotions, without being caught by anything. From this place, we begin to see that there isn't anything that doesn't offer us a direct path into a profound awakening. We start to realize that peace uh, is not something, it's not wrong to desire peace. In fact, what we uncover is that uh, what's wrong is thinking that peace is something we can find out there. Someone can give us peace. Some scripture can give us peace. Some teacher can give us peace. Some practice can give us peace. No, nothing will give you peace. It might, any of those things might uncover what's always already there. And that's really the work. That's when we begin to see the complete, the, you know, the, the nature of Shankara's point. When we see that the world is illusion, we then see God alone is real, but then we see that there is no separation between God and the world. That it's all one thing. It is one thing. And yet we can hold it as many. And that's when we go get pizza and beer. Yes. So the whole Esalen thing of I got it or I get it, the whole um, having, I don't know what you would call that, just these miraculous insights or whatever, um, is grasping in a way. Grasping. Dies as soon as you. Whenever somebody says I got it or I get it, especially in relationship to deep spiritual work, the alarms should go off because they're grasping in two ways. One, to an I, and two, to whatever it might be. I get it. I grasp it. Which puts us right back at step one, which is the world is delusion. And even if you, if you, if you get the fact that the world and God are the same and inseparable, and you get it, well, you you're implying not only through your language but also probably through your enthusiasm that there's a grasp. So it's, it's really important to watch 
I think watch for that internally and also watch for it externally. I mean, you know, the spiritual marketplace is filled with people who uh, sit on cushions and are bald and tell everyone that they are enlightened. If anybody ever says that, you, you better hope that they're at least cracking up as they say it. You know? It's a, you know, you are I am enlightened. I mean, everybody's enlightened. Everybody's enlightened. There isn't one person who doesn't have peace at their core. Not one. And that peace at one's core is essentially what we're uncovering here when we sit still. Every bit of stillness that we are able to kind of incorporate into a day is a melting away of extra stuff that helps thin that uh, uh, skin so that the light can radiate forth much more with, with a, a deeper and more powerful luminosity and also with something that, like I, I use the word spontaneous, it becomes kind of a spontaneous opening to truth. And so the genuine discoveries of truth where you feel like saying, ah, mm -hmm. the response should be just, wow. Yes, ah. just ah, perfect. <laughs> because then it's not ah, <laughs> I got it, right? It's just ah, and that's open. Wow is open. I've got it. <laughs> I think I'll write a book now. <laughs> Writing is a very bad habit. I'm just telling you. Although there's a book in the back that's pretty. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. A, it's kind of. A, it's paradoxical on the one hand. I mean, the those of us that have gone into that arena, deciding to write a book about this stuff. I mean, it's just words. It doesn't. It doesn't reflect one scintilla of what the words point to. You think it's because you're saying, oh, I've got to remember this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's still an I. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the I isn't a marvelous thing. It's just the I is utterly incomplete. The me, the mine, it's there. But it's, inc it's an incomplete representation of something that's much more full and much more real. And that w th what is much more full and much more real pounds at us. And it shows up as some type of dissatisfaction, usually. It's the evolutionary impulse of the entire universe coming through us. And the universe is expanding. We are part of the universe. It would make sense that we are, since we're not separate from the universe, that we too are kind of in this opening. Since the beginning of time, this isn't anything new. There's this seems to be this spiritual component. And, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with V.S. Ramachandran down at uh, UC San Diego. He's been really interested in kind of mapping the God spot of the brain somewhere in the occipital lobe. And, you know, okay, great, whatever. It's there, you know. He has this very rich, uh, beautiful Indian accent. And he calls it the God spot or the G spot. <laughs> well, slow down, Tiger. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's quite, quite amazing, you know. Who knows? Who is it that cares? You know? Sit on your cushion, don't wobble. Some of the best advice any Zen master ever gave. Sit on your cushion, don't wobble. Regardless of your tradition, whatever it is, contemplative prayer, great. You know? Do you all get it?
<laughs> Thank you so much for coming tonight. I appreciate it.